hope this time in Exodus has been a blessing to you, family. I, I hope that you found that uh, you've been challenged uh, like you've never been challenged before reading through uh, the book of Exodus. I hope that it's been uh, something that's been fruitful, uh, that you've been able to apply to your daily living and not simply uh, something that you hear and that you forget, but something that sticks with you. Uh, we'll continue uh, this morning our journey through Exodus, looking at specifically the Ten Commandments. We're looking at an old text prayerfully. We're looking at it with new eyes, understanding that God can and does indeed speak to us. A word that is just as fresh and just as relevant today as it was when it was written as fresh and as relevant as it will always be. The Ten Commandments are relevant because they are the building blocks, if you will, for Christian living. They shape and frame what should be our affections, our attitudes, and our actions towards God in the first four commandments. And they uh, shape our affections and our attitudes and our actions for what should be uh, our interactions with each other in the six, the last remaining six commandments. Four commandments that speak to our vertical relationship with God and six commandments that speak to our horizontal relationship with each other. While the commandments that speak to our vertical relationship with God are fewer in number, we dare not mistake or make the mistake rather of thinking that they are in any way less important. God is first. God is priority. He is alpha and number one of the first four commandments tell us that we shall have no other gods before him. And so, family, we understand that if we fail in the first four, we have no hope of getting the other six right. It's only in and through a proper relationship with God that we know or have any hope of, 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 of finding what it looks like to properly relate to each other. The vertical shapes the horizontal. And the horizontal reflects the vertical. What we understand and what we believe of God is evident in how we handle our neighbor. 1 John 4 verses 7 through 11 says this. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The vertical shapes the horizontal, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The horizontal reflects the vertical. Anyone who does not know God or anyone rather who does not love does not know God because God is love. We see three things framing uh, or we see uh, three things in this framing of vertical and horizontal. We see affection, attitude, and action. 
Affections that flow from God that are evidence that we are born of God because we love. Attitudes or feelings about those around us that are prayerfully shaped by our affections for God or they're shaped by our lack of affections for God. And actions towards one another that are driven by attitudes that have been shaped by godly affection or the lack thereof. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Dr. Derwin Gray, pastor of Transformation Church, put it this way, sharing on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. You cannot love a person beyond the label you assign to them. You see, label speaks to value. And how we value people determines how we treat them. Now that may be okay when it comes to stuff or things. We can freely admit that some things are just made better than others. Different manufacturers have different processes and different, or, uh, different standards and use different materials. And so when it comes to things, labels and labels rather can determine value. But we can't use that same valuation when it comes to people because all men have the same maker. In Genesis 1 verses 26 to 27, 26 through 27, we find these words. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. 27, so God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Man has already been labeled. Created in the very image of God, we cannot assign value, nor do we have the right to diminish value. Our task this morning is to cover commandment number six. Thou shalt not kill, as most of us probably learned it, but according to the ESV, the English Standard Version, Exodus 20 and 13, you shall not murder. When you read the sixth commandment in King James Version again, as most of us probably learned it, it reads, thou shalt not kill. The word kill here in the Hebrew is the word rotsak. It's strong number 7523, and by definition, it means properly to dash to pieces. That is to kill a human being, especially to murder, put to death, kill, manslayer, murderer. It doesn't simply refer to the act of killing, but the heart behind the action. Brown's driver and digs in Old Testament Hebrew uh, English lexicon adds to this definition words like premeditated, avenger, and assassinate. Why is it important to note that the words speak beyond the action of killing? First, because if it does not speak beyond the action, God violates his own command. Secondly, if it does not speak beyond the action, many many of us rather would too easily let ourselves off the hook thinking that just because we haven't physically killed anyone that we aren't guilty of breaking God's law here in the sixth commandment. 
Again, if it does not speak beyond the action, if God was indeed prohibiting all killing here, then God himself would violate his own command. For in the very next chapter, as God is speaking to Moses about the laws by which Israel will be governed in verse, tw- in verse 1 rather of chapter 21, we have these words. Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. This is God speaking to Moses regarding Israel. Verse 12, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. Verse 14, if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. 15, whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. 16, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him, the man that was stole and sold shall be put to death. 17, whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. What about Moses when he came down from the mountain and saw the people worshiping the golden calf? This is after he came down the second time and found them. Exodus 32 verses 28 through 25 through 28. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him and said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and from gate to gate throughout the camp and kill each of you, his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day, 3,000 men of the people fell. What about when God commanded the Israelites to to kill all the inhabitants of the city of Jericho except Rahab the harlot in Joshua 6? In verse 16, Joshua says, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Verse 21 says, then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep and donkeys with the edge of the sword. Deuteronomy 13, the word says, if your brother, your son or daughter, even the wife you embrace or your friend tries to entice you to serve other gods, listen. Chapter 13, verses 8 through 9, you shall not yield or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your, Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. You shall stone him to death with stones because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Does that sound familiar? It should because these are the words that God spoke to Moses just before giving him the Ten Commandments. There were times, family, where killing wasn't just permissible, it was God-sanctioned. Times where even God himself was the one taking life. The The commandment isn't simply, you shall not kill. The command is, you shall not murder. And please note in sharing this that we're not making light of killing. Life is a gift from God. He alone has the power to give it, and so he alone has the right to take it. 
But lest we get puffed up and thinking that we're not guilty because we've never physically murdered anyone, I want to challenge us on our thoughts and our words because God weighs our thoughts and our words as heavily as he weighs our actions. The offense goes beyond the action because the action is simply the result of what was already in the heart. The offense then comes in the heart or in the attitude that drives the action. So let's talk about our attitudes. The line is drawn where there is a disregard for Jesus' response when questioned by the Pharisees as to which is the great commandment in the law. Hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, starting at verse 37. He, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. On these two Depend all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Whenever we fail to love God and love neighbor, whenever we falter in affirming the worth of an individual based solely on the fact that they bear the image of God and not based on our attitudes or feelings towards them, we run the risk of breaking God's sixth commandment. And it's very easily done. Just look at our current climate and see how quickly we go from affirming worth to declaring one as worthless. How simple terms like liberal or conservative can completely rob us of godly affection and compassion. How campaigns and elections can drive division between us so deep that people call for war and are ready to take lives. Lines have been drawn and uh, relationships ended simply by the names of our chosen social media platforms. But does using words like libtard or deplorable make me guilty of murder? Listen to Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. No one goes from zero to murder in 60 seconds. Trace it. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Have you ever been angry with someone? In your anger, have you ever spoke insulting or degrading words? Have you ever spoken something in your anger and devalued your spouse, your mother, your uh, uh, children, your brother? In your insult, have you ever called someone a fool or an idiot or a moron in traffic and at work? 
Look at the next couple of verses again in Matthew chapter 5, 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her. Hear this, in his heart. Scripture says in Matthew 15, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in your anger and you speak a word that devalues or degrades, then the heart is driving the action. James 1 and 15, desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is finished or fully grown brings forth death. The heart drives the action. The violation happens long before the act. The violation happens in the heart as you or I in our anger speak a word that devalues another human being who has been created in the image and likeness of God. Judge for yourself. Are you guilty? We have to be so careful, family, in guarding our hearts, and we have to take seriously, so seriously, the offense that we give it the proper weight when we know offense exists. And this is counter to our culture because many of us believe in cutting folks off, and we're quick to do it. Kevin O'Leary from TV's Shark Tank, most, uh, 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 most people know, has a phrase that he likes to use from time to time when he doesn't get the deal or when somebody in the room doesn't listen to his, his advice. He says, you're dead to me. Have we taken this approach? Have we either in word or deed said to someone, you're dead to me? Again, in word or deed. And if we have, does Jesus take issue with us? Does Jesus take issue with us being a cutoff culture? Look with me again at Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come. And offer your gift. How seriously does God take our attitudes and our heart towards one another? If you are in worship and in the midst of your worship, remember that there's an offense. Scripture says, leave your gift. Go be reconciled to your brother. It's the attitude that drives the action. And so if our hearts are in the wrong place, everything that comes from it is a violation of God's sixth commandment. So how do we fix our attitudes? The vertical shapes the horizontal. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Godly affection shape godly attitudes. A heart that understands that it is loved by God and loves God will love others. And inversely, a heart that doesn't know God and doesn't know God's love, will not love because it doesn't know how. Anyone, Scripture says, who does not love does not know God because God is love. We fix our attitudes by realigning our affections. 
As believers, that means fighting against our own sinful nature's tendency to become angry with those who don't look or think or act like us. Those who may not value what we value. That means learning by the help of the Spirit to value others and their life by God's standards and not based on our, uh, our, our feelings or not based on natural things. This goes beyond the simple appearance of peace. We're good at the appearance of peace, but remember God is judging the heart, the attitude. This is an actual, deep, and meaningful, abiding, Christ-exalting love for neighbor. This means praying and striving for a life that exemplifies the fruits of the Spirit rather than works of the flesh. And let's face it, sometimes we can be lazy and undisciplined believers. We don't always read our word like we should. We don't always pray like we should. We take the life that we live before God way too casually. And oftentimes, it's not just us who pay the price. It's those around us who pay the price. When we fail to rehearse the gospel in our own hearts, reminding ourselves just how much we need the love of God, we leave room for the enemy to come in and rob us of opportunities to show others the same kind of love that God shows us. It's not that we don't know what to do. Loving others is not a new call or a new command. Hear the word of the Lord in 2 John chapter 1, verse 4. I greatly rejoice, or I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. He says, you've heard this from the beginning. It's not new. It's not even that we don't know what it looks like. John 15, verse 12, this is the commandment. Excuse me, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Again, another description, greater love has no man than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. He shares what that looks like. How did God demonstrate his love for us? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God grants us life by sacrificially loving us. We who broke his law, we who deserve death, and yet... Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. How should we do anything less for our brother? We know that we are called to love our neighbor. We know our neighbors are imperfect because we are imperfect. But like us, they were created in the image of God. Like us, he thought that they were worth dying for. So let us make every effort to guard our hearts and let our attitudes and our actions affirm the worth of every person that we come in contact with. May we do it 
by his spirit for his glory and for the good of all his people. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you.